0: Let's ask God to, to bless our time around this word. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we don't want to be guilty of doing church when you're doing something else. Uh, but Father, I, I, I believe that you do want to speak to us tonight. And uh, that you want to help us capture the heart of the prophets. And to be a people who understand the times and know what we should do. So, Lord, as we come to this word tonight, just make it alive, anointed with your presence, and Lord, let it change us. We honor you for that in Jesus' name. All right, so when I teach the foundations on the scripture, I give three primary hermeneutics. The first one is you should always read the Bible to know God. You should always read the Bible to know God. And there's two more. Ask me about those later. Um, And so, as we're coming to these prophets, studying the minor prophets, one thing we're trying to do is to see something unique about God and to come to know Him more fully. And so, tonight, as we look through the book of Amos, uh, the thought that I want to bring to you is simply that true worship of God, true relationship with God, truly coming into God's presence results in justice and love of your neighbor. One of the things about God is if you are truly walking in relationship with him, then what happens is you help bring justice and love to the people around you. It's that simple. That's the thought. And if what we do in church does not make us more loving to one another and the people around us, then we probably need to do something so, uh, the context of this one is, is it's unique. Uh, the guy's name is Amos, and he's a shepherd who also has fig trees. And, uh, you know, he's just an old farm boy. And one day God comes to him, and all of a sudden, he sees and he understands what's going on. And God calls him to speak to the nation. And... I don't know if he sold everything, but he leaves Judah in the south where he lived, and he goes up north to Bethel, I believe, and he begins to prophesy. Now, one of the things that will help you understand some things in the story is this, that Israel split, and so he had southern and northern Israel. When they split in the north, they built their own temple up there and put a golden calf in it, and they said, we'll come worship here rather than coming down to Jerusalem. And they also built one in the north of uh, northern Israel. So they had two places they could go rather than coming down to Jerusalem. So he goes up to Bethel where one of these uh, uh, temples are and and probably all over the place. And and he begins to prophesy. Well, this is during the time of Jeroboam too, And Jeroboam was one of the latter kings. He was the last really successful king. And if I were going to just describe the times in a way that we might understand, I would think maybe, I would think about America from the 1950s uh, to the present. Jeroboam's reign was about like that. Uh, they were increasing, they were becoming more wealthy. Now we haven't, I don't think, gained a lot more land but they, they, were, they were taking more land. It was like, man, it, it was like, this is it, man. If you ever wanted to live at any time, at any place in history, you want to live in America in, in the beginning of the 21st century. Man, we have got it. We've got, we've got, you know. In, in, hey, Siri, what's the book of Amos about We've got it made. Uh, <laughs> when, when I was growing up, we, we had what was called a party line. That means you had a landline and there were two or three people on it and you listened for your ring. It was either ring or ring ring or ring ring ring. And when it was ring ring, that's when we picked it up. Otherwise, we would listen to somebody else's conversation. This is the time. That's where Amos lived. He had his sheep going, you, know, you know, he had his figs. And God says, we got a problem here. Uh, those guys up north, they're getting out of hand. And so, as often is the case, and as we've seen it over and over, God's blessing them, he's pouring out, I mean, the wine vats are overflowing, uh, the, the sheep are, are multiplying, they're getting new lands, and as is the case, when people get in that situation, Number one, they begin to worship what God's given them, idolatry. And then number two, they begin to become selfish, and you can't be selfish without, in some way, oppressing the people around you. So remember, our topic is, if you really know God and you really worship God, your life will exhibit and and spread justice uh, and love to the people around you. So there's an outline, and this is the outline that's on the Bible project, and he, he puts it in three sections. The first section is chapter 1 and 2, and basically there he, he makes this proclamation that he's going to judge Israel uh, as well as the nations around Israel. And then in 3 through 6, he's got these messages uh, that he gives to Israel, and then 7, 8, and nine. He, he shares visions uh, about this judgment. And so it's the same story. Uh, people have turned from God to their own wealth. And because of that, they have become oppressive and selfish toward one another. Now stop and think. And I think this is very important that at the foundation of the way we think about everything we do, we got to understand that the original sin And sin after that is simply this. Rather than totally trust God and live to his word, I think that I probably like my wife and apples better than him. Now, theologically, you could destroy that, but but I'm saying it that way, so so it takes you back. Instead of being submitted to God and living by relationship with him, we choose to live by our own knowledge, to figure life out, to see how we can get ahead. When we do that, it ruins relationship. The first thing they did was have to put clothes on. And then the second thing that happened to them is their one of their first two sons killed the other. Get that deep down inside of you. That, that is a picture of life. Apart from God. When we step away from God. we put a barrier between. One another. Because love is of God. And I don't care who you are. If you're not filled with the spirit of God. It is impossible for you to truly love. So by the grace of God. And the indwelling of God. We can live a crucified life. Alive to him. And we can love each other. So that's the story. And that's going to be over and over and over in the Bible all the way up to the end. But I just bring that up so you can see all the way through this, excuse me, this underlying this underlying truth uh, sort of governs this book. <coughs> so there's two things that go on. One uh, is idolatry. And the second is injustice. So let's talk about that those two things going through this book it shows up in, in almost what well, shows up in all of these sections. So idolatry just something and I hope we can get this in our mind tonight. Here's how idolatry works and it's be very important for you to remember this to avoid idolatry in your life. Idolatry, It's very easy to understand what's going on, because if you look at the idols in these foreign countries, the idols would have to do with money, agriculture, sex, and a few other things. Now, there is not some metaphysical being who governs over sex or a metaphysical being who is the god of rain that causes uh, seed to grow. What is there? There's a god who does it all in justice and mercy. But when I begin to get so interested in my farm or my boat, or when I get so interested in captured by sex, then all of a sudden, I want to be religious about it, so I create this wooden idol with my own hands, and I endow it with this characteristic, and now I worship this wooden idol, but really what am I worshiping? My own fallen nature, my own, my own desire for sin, my, my own desire to live separated from God. That's idolatry. So skip the step of building the wooden idol and just get idolatry of the mind. You know, we're we're too smart to believe that there's a God, a specific God of those various and sundry sins. So we just do it in our mind. And we worship it in our mind and we desire that. And we long after it. That's idolatry. That's what idolatry is. It is rooted in separating ourselves from God. And loving the stuff that God gave us more than God. Whenever you do that. Whenever your life gets captured with your job. You're worshiping the God of agriculture. You are bowing down to the God of agriculture. When you you decide to give yourself more fully to your work. Than to passionately pursue God in your work. Does that make sense? And we've got to get that in our head. Because... We live in a time of wealth when we are blessed with so much. And it's very easy for us to take our so much and for us to be consumed with that and give our money and ourselves to it. And that is the sin of idolatry. And that's what's going on here in this book. But this idolatry leads to to injustice and a lack of mercy. When I'm captured up in what I want, then the whole idea of justice and mercy begins to dissipate. If I were worshiping God Himself, He is the God of justice and mercy. And so I become like that. But when I no longer worship Him, my life gets built around the idols of this world. So we'll talk about that. Uh, as we go, I'm not going to talk much more about idolatry. We're going to talk about justice and mercy. Justice and mercy ends up, and justice and righteousness, it ends up in care for other people. And so, let me define these two words real quick, and then we're going to look, and we're going to look at, at at each section and see where Amos addresses this thing. Look, guys. You need to be just, you need to be merciful, you need to be caring about other people, but you're wrapped up in your own stuff so you can't. So, the first word uh, that, that I think is, uh, is significant is the word righteousness. Righteousness. I'm just going to read these definitions. I, I think they will be, be helpful. The ethical, uh, righteousness, the ethical aspect... Involves the conduct of men with one another. Righteousness is treating one another right. That is one of the three primary meanings of righteousness. If I do for you and to you and with you what I'm created to do, that's the righteousness of God. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with idolatry no other God, remember the Sabbath. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. But what do the next six deal with? It begins with honor your mother and father, and it says, "Don't take each other's stuff. Uh, don't 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 lie about each other. Don't gossip. I mean, it, it it's. I don't know how we get these these questions of, oh, is this right or is this right? Is that right or is that right? The better question is, does this express the love of God or not? If it expresses the love of God, it's right. And that's in our heart. We learned that last week uh, from, uh, from uh, Joel. Alright, so it's the ethical aspect. It's the conduct of men with one another. It is held by some that righteousness is the quality of relationships between individuals. Good relationships between individuals. Healthy, godly relationships. That is an indication of righteousness. It's not, I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't run around with people who do. It's, I walk in active love toward the people around me. That is righteousness. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's letting the Ten Commandments live inside of you and go beyond what the letter says. Hallelujah. That's what lives inside of us. And that's how we live. When we walk in relationship with God, it's called righteousness. The forensic aspect of righteousness applies to equality of all, rich and poor, before the law. So righteousness is a sense that we all live in this world together, and there's certain laws, and we make sure that those laws apply equally and that, that I don't try to get one up on you. That I don't try to adjust the situation so that I get ahead of you. But righteousness is, we're in this relationship, you know, you want burgers, I want hot dogs, I'm not going to pull rank on you and make you eat a hot dog. Uh, that's a great example. Uh, <laughs> Because if you go much deeper than that, you get into marriage counseling, and we just don't need to do that tonight. But you understand what I'm saying, right? Okay? And then finally, the third meaning for this word uh, translated as righteousness is uh, it's an attribute of God as to his character. The Lord is the just judge to the utmost degree. These, These are summations of several verses all grabbed together. He is the righteous judge. The utmost degree. His standards, the way he judges, uh, set out in his word, they are righteous. So however God figures out things are supposed to be, that's love. That's righteous. Okay, so that's the word righteous. The second word is judgment. The word judgment is a governmental word. But thanks to our founding fathers, We understand this governmental word of judgment a little differently than the way Hebrews understood it. For us, we have the executive branch who executes the law. We have the legislative branch, which creates the law. And then we have the judicial branch, which decides if the law is legal or not and if the law is being applied properly. And so when we think of a judge, we think of somebody who's going to come and say, oh, this is right... Or that's right but the biblical judge does all of it the biblical judge already knows the law they come and they make a the decision about how it should be and then they execute it they make it right and so for us judgment is not i think this or i think that judgment is i see the situation And I'm going to put myself into it and make it right. Does that make sense? And so righteousness, to be righteous is to be in right relationship. Judgment is when things are questionable that you step back and you see for what it is. See it for what it is and you make it right. Okay? So remember, we're in the book of Amos. And we're talking about the fact that people who have become separated from God, they're no longer righteous and their judgment is bad. Who does that affect? It affects the weak and the poor. And so, all the way through the book, it's always going back to the idea of justice and caring for the poor. So, I want to look at that at a few places and then I want to make some applications. So, let's go ahead and start the first section. Remember, the first two sections is the part where he's, he's saying, Uh, I am going to judge Israel as well as the nations around them. And so, uh, you see this idea in chapter 2, verse 7. Those that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek, and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. Now, if you look at commentaries, the, the interpretation of that first part, actually ESB says it a little differently. But the whole idea is that, that that you give yourself to gaining as much as possible, and you tread over the people around you. You ever been to Walmart or Kyle? You're going to see this. Kyle just got a new job, and he's working with the uh, state sales. My neighbor across the street, his wife, and he both go to these estate sales, and they buy stuff. He was telling me about the last one he went to. Those places are dangerous. People pant for the dust on the heads of the poor. They elbow, they push, they shove. So, Jenna, you pray for God. Because he's going to go to a place where they don't know God, and they want their stuff. That's, a, that's an easy example. But really, in life, there's things that happen that parallel that that are much more costly, much much more dangerous. So it starts off by saying, and you guys are so greedy for your stuff. You just step on people and you push the meek out of the way. And, uh, and, and, and the meek doesn't necessarily mean uh, unable. It just means that they are the kind of people who live righteously. And you push them out of the way, you push the poor out of the way, because you need your stuff. So that's in that that first section. Uh, And then in the next section, uh, I I, I, I like this one, Amos 4.1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. I think... uh, I think in the ESV it says, You to your husbands. Bring and let us drink. But the kind of fashion... Listen here, you fat cow. (laughs) You ever heard anybody call somebody else a fat cow? Listen here, you fat cow. You that are in the Mount of Samaria. Remember Jesus when he was in in, in the Gospels? He's talking to that woman from Samaria. And she asked, Should we worship in this mountain? Or that mountain. He's moving toward the, the religious. They have their sense of which mountain they should worship in. Listen here, you fat cows who live in that mountain over in Samaria. And you command everybody to bow to you and to meet your needs. So, all the way through, he's, he's, he's saying stuff about people who are rich, yet they, they disregard the poor. It goes on. You lie on beds of ivory and stretch yourselves on your couches. Uh, this is this is a uh, chapter six, and you eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the salt. And really, you've got to translate this and bring it into to new to not the New Testament, but you got to bring it into our century. Listen, you people who are able to go eat at Ruth Chris and and uh, drakes and and you sit around and you have all this great food. Uh, You don't like this couch, so you go and buy another couch. Set the old one on the curb. You chant the sound of the vial. You got the greatest sound system in your car and in your house. You vibrate the people next to you while you're going down the road. And, and you come up with new ways of entertainment. You invent uh, instruments of music just like David did. Only to your own pleasure and your own joy. He, he, he's after. Chapter 5, verse 7. You turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Listen, you're so rich and you're so wrapped up in your stuff... You don't live right toward other people. And as far as situations where there's a question, you've turned it to stinking wood. Wood that's no good. Brandon Henderson could not even turn a bowl out of it. I know your manifold transgressions. They inflict the just. They take a bribe. And they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. In other words, when it comes into contention, you don't even give the poor a hearing. you got yours, and you've got to make sure you keep yours. And I think this might might be a part that that really captures it in the center section. The center section is where he's talking about the judgment that's going to come. And this is uh, chapter 5, 21 through 24. Uh, You might want to just pay pay close attention. I hate. You say, I hate. God says, I hate. I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. I'm not going to go to church with you anymore. If you offer up incense, I'm not even going to smell it. Although you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I'm not going to accept them. I don't care if you swing your hips and throw up your hands and give out a, a, a loud whoop. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. I don't care how much money you giving an offering. Take your worship away from me, for I will not hear the melody of your vials. But instead, let judgment run down as waters. Or another version says, let judgment flow as the rivers, and righteousness as a mighty stream where you've been all wrapped up in your idolatry, your selfishness, your self-seeking, oh, stop and rearrange your life. Stop and take an account and rearrange the way you do your finances, your schedule and everything else and let judgment, in other words, look and see and let your life be the blessing it's supposed to be and that will put you in the right relationship with the people around you. And then Getting toward the last chapter. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? Again, he's banging on their hypocrisy. You know, we can't sell on certain Sabbath days. I can't wait till Sunday's over so I can get back on that project. And the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great. When they would do exchanges, they would have uh, a weight, and they would trade a you know a, a certain amount of uh, corn for a certain amount of this weight. And they discovered these. They, they, they found places of business where they have two sets of weights. One for buying and one for selling. That's about eight or nine. Huh? I'll wait for you to get it. When you sell, your weight's going to be more. And when you buy, your weight's going to be less because you're cheating just a little bit. You're always getting an edge uh, through through the way you weigh things. And you make false balances by deceit. You buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. So the, the, the answer is in the middle of all of this as well. So are we, are we on the same page? you understand what's going on there? And so, are we on the same page? Okay. So, so there's, there's an answer. And it's interesting the way this answer comes. It comes in, I believe, chapter uh, 5. And so, listen to these real close. We're going to do 5, 4 and 5. And then we're going to do uh, 5, 14 and 15. Okay? So, here's 4 and 5. For thus says the Lord of the house of Israel, Seek ye me and you shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, those other places where the idols are. Come on, turn away from the idols of your mind. Seek me, not these false idols, and don't go to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught when we are captured by these idols of our mind, we are taken into captivity. Hallelujah. But when we seek him, we shall live. That doesn't mean that we're not just going to die. It means we are going to have life as it was meant to be. So caught in a wealthy generation, where it's so easy to be captured by the things, God says, look, you got to stop and you got to put your heart on me and seek me, and you'll find life there. Now, on down to the next few verses, 14 and 15, seek good and not evil. Seek good and not evil. And good includes judgment, mercy, doing that which is right. All right. Let me let me read verse four, just part of it. Seek ye me and you shall what? Seek ye me and you shall live. Life as it's meant to be. Seek good and not evil, that you may what do you think it says? Live. Seek me. So that you can live. Seek good. So that you might live. And so we can see those two ideas we started with come back together. To know and to walk with God is also to walk in right relationship and love and care for the people around us. When Amos, by the anointing of the Spirit of God, cries out. And, and we've been asking this question. What does it mean to return to your first love? Well, Amos kind of says both things. Seek God. Seek good. Love God and love each other. In both of those, you find what life is really supposed to be. Now, that was a really good point. And I'm just wondering if you all are listening or wishing you were over in one more. Hmm? good stuff I'm not talking about the water so so we're trying to to know God we're trying to know what it means to really walk with the creator of the universe I'll remind you from Hosea uh, chapter 10 he said sow to yourselves in righteousness reap in mercy break up your fallow ground for it's time to what? Seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. Till he comes and reigns what? Righteousness on you. Seek God. Until he begins to live in you. Righteousness. And what is righteousness? But it's correct relationship to the people around you. Amazing. Amazing how the whole thing, the Ten Commandments, half toward God, half toward each other. A new commandment I give you, love God and love your neighbor. The opposite, I reject God and then I begin to murder the people around me. Uh, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. All you need is love. And the only place you find that is by breaking up your fallow ground that's been hardened by your desire for stuff and seek after the Lord with all your heart. Now, let me remind you of something that we learned uh, from uh, uh, Joel, all right? And then then we'll read the the last few verses of Amos. So, in Joel 2.28, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. In Joel, we learn this thing about God. He wants to live inside of you so that he can live this life through you to the people around you. And I'm so glad that I know that God wants to live in the people around me so they can live that life toward me. But we have to break up the fallow ground like Hosea said. And we have to seek the Lord with all our heart. And we have to open our hearts like they did on the day of Pentecost and allow the Spirit of God to come and live inside of us mightily. And so Amos is looking toward that day as well. And at the very end, after he goes through, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge Israel. Here's the judgments. I see these visions about Israel. These are the last verses that are tacked on. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that the foul man shall overcome the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. In other words, harvest is going to come so quickly when you sow that the harvesters are going to be coming as you're sowing. And as soon as you get it sowed, harvesters are going to come and you're going to be trying to, I mean, it is going to be amazing. A day is coming when there's going to be fruit after fruit after fruit. I know we've been caught in this cycle But the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. People are going to be, it's just going to be amazing. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. Hills were a challenge back then. If you're walking and you've got to go up the hill and down the hill to get to the next point, they're in the way. But God's going to make all the mountains level and I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them and I will plant them upon their land and they shall no more be pulled out of their land which I have given them says the Lord my God hallelujah back in that period of time When there was great wealth, but people become selfish, self centered, there was this threat of judgment with this promise that ultimately God was going to do something that would cause us to live life as it was meant to be a life of abundance. That's God's desire and God's purpose in creating us. So let's do some applications here, real quick. All right. So the ultimate end is that we would live right toward the poor, that we would oppress the poor. And so I know that it's always hard for us in Lexington especially to identify the poor. And so let me just, just say this very quickly. And then I've got a second application that I think might be even more important. Okay? So there's, there's, there's three ways that you can engage the poor. Alright? One is and, and I like this one, it's as you go. I, I know some guys who own trucks. And they have five gallons of gas, a pair of jumper cables, a four-way, and a tow rope in the back. You know why? Because as they go along the way and they see people who are out of gas, or they have flats, or they have jumpers, they have made it a point to stop and help those people along the way. You may not have a truck. I will pray for you that God give you a truck. Trucks are great. I love my truck. I even have a little have this unique little jumper box. I'll bring it next week and show you what it looks like. But you're always going. And if you open your eyes, there are people along the way in that moment that you can help. If you're not caught up in your idolatry, there will be somebody this week that you can help if you don't get captured, like the people under Jeroboam were captured, so frantic with life that they couldn't stop to care for somebody who had a need. Remember the Good Samaritan? All the religious people, they were so busy and so wrapped up in that thought that they couldn't stop. But the Samaritan, at least in, in that story, uh, was the hero. All right. The second thing is, uh, as you see, um, it's not just along the way, but sometimes we need to stop. And we need to consider, you know. Where might they? Where might I be needed? Uh, where where might uh, you know? Where might I uh, find a place that I can engage people? Uh, my life is so busy that, that, that I, I haven't even stopped to think: is there a place that that I could go? And when I think about it in a modern sense, uh, I think there's many places that you can find where there's a need. For us locally, if you want to give in this area, and this is just an example, there is a kid born every day within our reach that's born into a family that will ruin that kid, and that kid needs somebody to take care of him for a while. And maybe we're so wrapped up in our thing that we can't stop and find God to do that one thing. Here's another thing that you can do. Not only could you possibly adopt a kid or foster a kid, you may not have time to do that, but you could stop and help somebody else who's fostering a wild thing. I mean, a kid. All right, so as you go, you run into stuff. You stop and you seek. But also, as you hear, sometimes it just comes to you. You hear about a need. Paul, when he was at the Corinthian church, he knew about a need over in uh, Jerusalem. And he told those people, Hey guys, here's this situation and we need to give into it. You said you wanted to give. I'm here. I believe in the hereafter. And I'm here after your money. Uh, and so as you go, as you hear... Uh, but sometimes, as you see, so so those are some applications, and uh, I think there might need to be some repentance tonight uh, of our wealth and busyness and homeschooling and spending time with the family because we're wealthy. We are wealthy. And it's easy for us to translate that into, we need to make new songs, We need to make new instruments. We need to find new ways to enjoy all of this stuff that God's given us. And then our life begins to get filled with righteous acts of love to the poor and the needy and and the people around us that need us, right? But, and this is the most important application, okay? Stick, Stick with me. I've been rich and I've been poor and I can tell you a whole lot of difference between the two I think maybe when I was much more poor I might have been happier but I know I was at least as happy and so so these sort of temporal things are important but you will notice in the New Testament that much less is said about caring for the poor. You know that, that we need to take care of the widows. You know that pure and undefiled religion is to care for the widows and, and the fatherless in their affliction, to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And a few more verses. But there's another poverty that's more important to and we can apply the same three applications to that poverty. People who do not know God. People who are not in relationship with the Lord. They are poor. And when we are not righteous toward them. When we don't walk in judgment toward them. And what is judgment? Point our finger and say you're wrong. No, judgment is going and intervening on their behalf. To make sure those who don't know God, those who are poor in relationship to God, they get equal opportunity. And so I would like to challenge us tonight. Number one, to rethink our finances. To rethink our response to the physically poor around us. But I think in this time, right now, maybe the most place we need to challenge ourselves would be this. If I live this luxurious life to point then I am not living righteously toward the poor, have I lived toward those who don't know God like I should? Have I erased my life around my idols? Have I made my family an idol? Have I made my comfortable bed and idol? Have I made watching the chosen? <laughs> Ooh, let's get that. <laughs> Sacred cow. An idol. If, if I were younger, and when I was younger, I would say things like this. If you've watched the chosen and you haven't found a sinner to watch it with us, with you, you don't love God. <sighs> but I wouldn't say that. But I could remind you that I would have said that a long time ago. <laughs> just, just just to communicate the idea. You see what I'm saying? You know, it's not that we don't know God if we didn't do it, but isn't that a good idea? If you and a buddy or you and a spouse are watching the chosen, to see if you could connect with some neighbors and say, hey, we watch this show every whenever you watch it. Or, hey, listen, we're going to sit down Friday night, and we're going to watch The Chosen until Saturday afternoon. You want to put on your pajamas and come watch it with us. (laughs) But do you see the application? So now let's think about what's going on in Asbury. Thousands of people from all over the world, hungry for God, are descending on that place. How many of you have had somebody at work ask you about the revival? <laughs> you, y'all, y'all live in northern Kentucky, don't you? <laughs> They're talking about all of the world. Well, that's your opportunity. Don't just tell them about it. Tell them, I'm going Thursday night. Would you like to go with me? And when they say, I can't because I've got an appointment on Thursday night, say, so when can you go and I'll go with you? As you go open your eyes. There might be somebody laying in the ditch. Seek God about how you might do it. And as you hear about it, go. And so, boy, this, this is kind of dangerous, isn't it? It's Saturday night. And we're going to be together again next Saturday night. And we've been challenged to be righteous and to bring judgment for the poor. The people that don't know God. You know what's going to happen next Saturday night? We're going to look each other in the eye. And we're going to either have to admit, I'm just a fat cow that's demanding that my master do what I want. or I've humbled myself. I've broken up the fallow ground. And I've let God yank me out of my lethargy. And I got to talk to somebody about Jesus this week. Amen? Will you take that challenge? No guilt. No, no. If you, you know, We're not going to have everybody line up. I'm not going to have everybody raise your hand. But just in your own heart, receive that. Say, yes, I, I want to break up the ground. And I want to be righteous. In order to do that, you've got to confess, I've been unrighteous. I've been captured in my own world. So we're going to worship. And if you need to do any business with